Hey, photographers, welcome to the Boca Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm here to help you build a sustainable photography business. That means improving your photo skills, building on your business knowledge, and honing your marketing abilities. But it also means helping you work more efficiently so you don't get burnt out in the long run. We do try to bring the show to you commercial free, so make sure to check out our sponsors, photographersedit.com and Milu, M-I-I-L-U.com. Photographers Edit is custom photo editing for the professional photographer, and Milu is the simplest way to create and manage timelines and shot lists for the events you're photographing. Again, photographersedit.com and Milu.com. All right, let's get into today's episode. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to another episode of the Boca Podcast and uh, a brand new guest today with me who I'm going to get to know along with you all listening, Mandy Liz. Mandy, thank you so much for making time to hang out with us today for a bit. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Well, and we were chatting for just a few minutes before we got started, um, but just a very brief few minutes, I will add, I, I don't actually have the opportunity, or I've not had the opportunity to be able to connect with you extensively. So I'd love to get to know a little bit more about your brand before we get into our questions and, and the main topic for today. We're going to actually be talking about something that we've honestly not spent a whole lot of time talking about. That's the idea of pivoting a brand position and more specifically pivoting to personal branding photography. And we're going to get into that in a little bit, but what market are you based in, Mandy? Yeah. So I uh, work out of Nashville, Tennessee, and I also can travel, but most of my clients are local here to Tennessee. Cool. And whereabouts in the Nashville area are you? Um, So kind of, I mean, we live in Nashville, so most of my clients are here, but I also kind of do work in the Franklin area and just anywhere surrounding some Murfreesboro and all of the surrounding cities. Okay. And you may know this, but I'm, I'm actually a couple hours away in Chattanooga and have the opportunity to get up to Nashville from time to time. I think it's a really, it, it feels like a, like a small big city, if you will. Yes. Like it's not overwhelming. You go to Atlanta and there's just so much to, to kind of process and, and Atlanta, or Nashville just doesn't feel that way. And it has that really lovely waterfront similar to Chattanooga as well. I think it's, it's great. Yeah, no, I love it. And I agree with you. It's nice in the sense that we do have a downtown, we have coffee shops, we have everything that you'd want out of like a city. But at the end of the day, it feels small enough and it doesn't feel overwhelming, like you said. Yeah, well, and and then I had the opportunity to go up there. It's been a little while back, sometime last year with my girlfriend and, and we spent two or three days there. I did not realize, and I'd been up to Nashville countless times before, I didn't realize how much of a party town it is too. Yeah, <laughs> It's almost yes, like almost sure. like a like a tamer Las Vegas or something like that. Um, and, yeah. and really fun because we were out, I guess, in the evenings and seeing maybe one evening in particular where you know we're walking down Main Street, if you will. I don't know what the actual name of the street is, but um, yeah, all these for those of you who've not been to Nashville before, you have all these country bars that are open and you hear the music coming from them. People are kind of piled in, and of course restaurants. And I mean, it's a really fun scene. And if you've never been before, you're going to want to go check it out because it's got a great vibe. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's also like we've been we've we've become known for like the bachelorette parties and like the bridal showers, all those things. So it is really fun. And it's also just a great chance for if you are a photographer in Nashville to um, take advantage of the fact that we have so many tourists coming and visiting and, you know, have sessions that you can kind of create to attract those people. Well, and I have to rec- personally recommend the Dream Hotel. We had the opportunity to spend a couple of nights there, and it is literally what they call it as a dream. I mean, it's it's a beautiful hotel. Um, it's got kind of this retro feel, 
downstairs in particular, a gorgeous restaurant and a couple of bars. Um, it was really, really nice. So we had a we had a fun weekend there. But anyway, we'll we'll jump from Nashville. Actually, we won't jump too far away from Nashville because I'm actually curious. My first question for you, and one that I normally ask my guests first, has to do with brand position. In the Nashville area, I mean, there are plenty of photographers, professional photographers. What is your business's brand position? What sets you apart from the other photography businesses in that area? Yeah, in general, I like to say that um, I'm on a mission to empower and encourage women through photography in their current season. So whether that is business and entrepreneurship, marriage or motherhood. So, um, you know, the overall thing is I really only work with females and cater to them. And that's all my messaging and everything that I put out is for them. But when it comes to the actual brand stuff specifically, I do have um, a pretty extensive background in marketing and PR and just social media management in general. So I'm really able to kind of translate their heart um, and their business into high quality images that they can use to grow their business. Well, you know, I'm actually on the homepage of your site. So everybody listening and you can go check it out. It's mandyliz.com, just like it sounds. And I'll go ahead and mention as well, Instagram, Mandy Liz Photography, and we'll put both of these in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. Um, but that the summation of your brand position, I'm seeing it. I, I actually had to scroll down and look for it a little bit. Um, I'd love to see it up at the top because it, it's very distinct and very clear and very easy to understand. I'm on a mission to empower and encourage women through photography in their current season of life. Um, I mean, what's cool about that brand position, first, first of all, of course, you specify the demo that you're reaching out toward. Um, the other thing that you're doing too is you're giving yourself some room to play with. You're not saying, I only photograph women in this particular context. You photograph women through photography in their current season of life, which really opens up a lot of possibilities. Mm-hmm. So what does that look like? Um, on, on a, I mean, I know that right now on the on the homepage at the very top, it says personal branding and wedding photography. Um, has that always been or have those always been the genres that you have pursued? Or have you looked at others in this this effort, I guess, to serve women through photography? Yeah, no. So I do more than that. And even now I do more than that. And what has worked really well for me is just to have different landing pages on my website. So obviously the homepage is, you know, kind of the catch all, but I do have a separate landing page for my branding work and a separate landing page for the wedding work and family work. So um, when people find me, whether that's through Google or Pinterest, they kind of land in whatever, you know, whatever part of the website appeals to them. And then, you know, I have the work that specifically is for them, but having this type of brand position and having this like setup of saying I work with all women, it allows me to do the family work. It allows me to do bachelorette sessions. Yeah. It allows me to do, you know, the newborn and the family stuff and the motherhood sessions and all all of it. But obviously I have found that like niching down into brand photography has been what has helped me grow my business the most. So I definitely I definitely recommend to choose one and just kind of focus on it. But I also don't think that you just have to like you know, throw everything out the window. I think that you can be successful in doing a lot of different things if you are um, good at it and if you're able to like really relate to those clients. Yeah, I I think one of the most important elements of making sure that we minimize confusion, especially if we're going to offer multiple services through our photography business or, or photograph various genres, is to create some type of distinction. And in your case, you've done something interesting. You mentioned having dedicated landing pages for each genre. Did you do that for the sake of SEO? Did you just do it to make it easy to link based on whatever type of photography you were sharing? What was the thought process behind that? 
Yeah. Um, I think I started doing it because it felt confusing. Like when I would land on my website, like in my mind, I'd think, well, if I was a bride, I'd want to see wedding stuff. If I was a business owner, I don't want to see wedding stuff. Right. So just in order to minimize that confusion and to kind of allow myself to stand out, I decided to do that. But then there's obviously been the benefits of the SEO for that. I am ranking pretty high for a lot of different branding terms um, in Nashville. So it's like having that designated landing page, I think has helped me with my SEO. And then obviously, if you're in Facebook groups or anything like that, where people are looking for photographers, makes it really easy to send them a link to mandyliz.com slash weddings or mandyliz.com slash branding instead of just sending them to my homepage. Yeah, no, that that totally makes sense. All right. So let me transition then. We've talked a little bit about brand position, but I want to talk about how you built that brand and more specifically customer service. And, you know, this might seem like kind of a cliche topic to go to, but the reality is, I think at least some of us anyway, hopefully have learned some important lessons about how to provide great customer service, which translates to an ability these days in particular to build a successful business. What has been one of the most important principles you've learned about providing wonderful customer experience for your clients? Yeah, I feel like, as you said, it can feel very like cliche, but all my answers are very cliche. It's all about, (laughs) I mean, always over deliver, under promise and over deliver, find ways to surprise and delight your clients, Um, you know, really show them that you care about their needs. And especially when it comes to the branding, branding side of things, I'm here to help them grow their brand. So yes, I have my own personal brand. I obviously am trying to grow a profitable profitable and successful business. But at the end of the day, when I'm working with my brand clients, it's all about them and it's all about their brand and helping them stand out. So I think it's just making sure that you're always serving without any expectations of a return. Obviously, it's great when you get those reviews or when you get the referrals, but just always give without expecting anything back. And what does that look like to kind of under promise and over deliver? Can you give some tangible examples of how you do that? Yeah. So um, I think it can start First of all, with just like giving them a date of when they can expect sneak peeks and galleries and making sure that you, you know, deliver before that. So for like my wedding clients, I tell them it'll be like six to eight weeks, but I get the gallery back usually within 10 days. Yeah. And then I, I do client gifts. That's something that they never expect, but they get excited when they get it in the mail. Um, just little things like that. You, you can promise a certain amount of pictures and then over deliver in that aspect, give them more than they expected. All those little touches, they add up very quickly and people whether they realize that you've done it or not, it's like it does make a difference in their experience. And when you talk about gifts, is there like, did you find a particular company that you just really wanted to work with? Do you buy individual gifts based on the client's personality? How do you go about choosing those? Yeah, so I um, I have different gifting levels, I guess, depending on what package my clients choose. Sure. But I used to do all the gifts like myself. I'd just go stock, like I'd buy everything in stock and then keep it in my um, a closet in my office and then ship it out. But I was realizing like I was wasting a lot of time just going to the post office. So I do outsource that now. And I do use a gifting company in Arizona that I absolutely love. And we've created like a custom gift box, but it definitely does not have to be anything fancy like that. It can just be like a handwritten card. Um, you know, like one of my gifts for my branding clients is a little handwritten card with confetti. So that's on the lower end of you know, the packages that they choose, but it doesn't have to be anything crazy. It can be that simple. Can we, can we mention the name of the company in Arizona that you have my curiosity peaked? Yeah. Blue Indigo Creations. Okay, cool. And we'll, we'll look them up, put that in the show notes for everybody who might be curious and is looking for a way to 
kind of delegate or outsource their gift giving. I think that's a really interesting way to go about it. And it's actually a good segue really into my next question um, here where we talk about time management. And one of the, of course, most prominent ways that we can save time in our photography business is to delegate or to outsource elements of our business. Uh, You mentioned doing that with gift giving. Are there any other areas where you do that as well? Yeah. So last year was my first full, like being full-time in my business was my first year of that. So last year, I very quickly learned how important it is for me to outsource because there was no way I could handle everything I needed to do. Sure. So um, I outsourced my copywriting, not all of it, but you know, some of my blog posts, definitely website copy, um, any launches, you know, anything like that is all outsourced to a copywriter. I have two of them that I work with very closely. I outsource my editing for my weddings. I outsource, I have a VA that works with me. So we do like a certain amount of hours each month. And then she just helps me with whatever I throw her way. Okay. We just have like an ongoing list and then obviously the client gifts. So there's like a lot of ways that um, I found that work for me. Yeah. I definitely think it's so important to get some of those things off your plate so that you can focus on other um, more important tasks. Yeah, those tasks that'll actually grow your business and that Mm -hmm. actually require your involvement. I think that's so important to note. You mentioned a VA. Do you have, how did you go about even finding one? And what's it been like to learn how to delegate to an individual? Yeah. So, so I've looked online and I definitely think that you can find some people online and through Instagram and whatnot, but what ended up working for me was um, my VA is the VA that two of my friends use. So it was kind of like a word of mouth thing. She doesn't have a website yet. She's not necessarily set up as a full-time VA, but she, you know, she's looking for the hours and she's amazing at what she does. So it just kind of, she was recommended to me and I saw the work that she did for my friends and it just, it has worked out so well. I have like a Trello board and I think, I definitely think if you're going to outsource in order to make it worth your time and your money, you need to have like your workflows and processes in place. I think if I didn't already have like my systems down and my workflows, it wouldn't be as Um, I guess, effective or efficient for me to outsource. But since I do have those workflows down, I'm literally able to just give her a Trello board and give her like, you know, these are blog posts that need pin graphics and these are posts that need scheduled and all these things. And she's able to just do it and it just gets done. I don't have to spend time explaining how to do it. I don't have to like do trainings. Um, So I think it's definitely, it helps make it worth the cost. I'm so glad that you bring this up. And for anybody who listens to the podcast regularly, you'll know that I've been kind of harping on this idea of if you're going to, or really when you do outsource or delegate work, be clear about what it is that you want done. Because if you're not, the whole process is going to be frustrating really for everybody involved. And, you know, I, I own an editing company, Photographers Edit. And one of the things that has been a struggle over the last 12 years or so that we've been in business is when we run into situations where a photographer isn't clear about what it is that they want. And so they they kind of just give us the images and expect something to be done. They're not even clear about what that thing is. They get it back and they don't like it. But then when we ask what they don't like, they're not able to effectively communicate what they don't like because they weren't really clear about what they wanted to begin with. So it's, and and of course, this is just one example and specifically in the realm of editing. Um, But if you who are listening in want to delegate or to outsource anything in your business, be clear about what it is that you want, whether it's editing style or album design or email management or blog writing or anything Make sure you're clear about what it is that you want. And ideally, as Mandy pointed out, that you've already worked out a a workflow. So you're able to very clearly, simply communicate that to somebody. It just makes that whole process not only so much easier, 
but so much more enjoyable and you're going to be much happier for it in the end. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's like, I really do think that that is the difference of like some people that try to outsource and then they're like, oh, it didn't work or it was a waste of money or I spent more time trying to communicate. Like that is why that happens. Yeah. And, you know, to that point about communication, um, and this is something I I have to, I'm reminded of pretty much on a regular basis, but if, if we as an individual are communicating something and we can't communicate it simply and concisely, the likelihood uh, of the situation is that we don't actually understand what it is that we're trying to communicate to begin with. I mean, we've all had conversations with people, and again, I've been guilty of it as well, where you hear that person basically thinking out loud as they're talking with you about this particular thing. They're working the idea or the ideas out in their mind. They're trying to even kind of come to some kind of conclusion themselves in the process of that communication. That's not the space that we want to be in when we're getting ready to delegate. So we need to start from a really clear position, know what it is that we want, ideally already have a workflow based on our personal experience, and then we can more effectively communicate. And the the finished experience, the finished product certainly, but then the overall experience it's going to be so much better as a result. So I'm, I'm glad that you bring that up, Mandy. Uh, but speaking of time, the other thing that I'd love to ask you about is how you can balance personal and and business time, if you will, your time management techniques. Is there a particular workflow tip or suggestion that you can make for our listeners that's really made a difference for you? Yeah, um, I will be honest and say I'm not the best at creating that balance just because I I really do love working and I just, it kind of creates this like, I don't know, like a high of like getting everything done and crossing things off my list. But because of that, I'm aware that I need to set those boundaries. So for me, what helps is just scheduling those days off. So I use a Trello board to plan my week. I plan my day, you know, every day I have the different tasks I need to do in that Trello board. And I will make sure that I schedule one or two days each week where I'm not going to be in my office. I'm not going to be working. And that is what allows me to create that balance. Otherwise, I would just be working every day because there's always something to do. Yeah. Um, and I enjoy it. <laughs> That's those, those two things combined can create just a nightmare of a situation, right? Cause it's easy to get sucked into it. And then we're like, Oh no, but we could do this and fix that and do this thing. And, and then it's, you know, 1130 at night and we've not taken a breath all day. I mean, it, it can be, yep. it can become kind of crazy. So, um, you know, ultimately I think understanding the significance of a break um, a little bit of time here and there and being intentional about creating that time. Um, again, as cliche and almost as obvious as that may seem, we have to go ahead and do that intentionally. And and uh, so I appreciate that reminder again as well. But let's talk about inspiration. This is something that I've begun asking our guests this year. Where do you find inspiration for photography for business, but not in the photography industry? Because again, as I've pointed out before, it's easy to you know scroll our Instagram feed, in which we probably are following countless photographers. Do you go outside of that anywhere and, and find inspiration that's been helpful for you in your business? Yeah, um, absolutely. I feel like I've obviously done like education from other photographers and I follow other photographers, but I honestly think that what has helped my business more is finding that education and inspiration from outside of our industry. So all of the courses or, you know, masterminds and everything I'm invested in within the last two years has been not photography related. It has been marketing or it has been, you know, other business owners or like a specific, you know, like podcasts, books, blogs, all of that, but they're all like marketing focused. And that is what has helped me, especially with the branding. Um, 
But yeah, I think it's important to not just on the actual finding inspiration, but on where you get your education to go outside of our industry and see what's working in other industries. Yeah, that's a good reminder as well. And you know what, I'm going to go ahead and ask you, since you you mentioned books, what has been one of the most impactful marketing books that you've read that's been really helpful? So um, I kind of have two favorite business books. On the marketing side, I love the building a story brand. I think it makes sense for this industry and, you know, for this realm of the work that I do. But for my actual like favorite book, it would be The Go-Giver. It's a business book, but it's not really marketing focused. Have you read that one? No, I haven't. Who's it by? I think, dang it, I think it's like Bob Berg. I don't know the name. I'm so sorry. No worries. I'll, um, I'll look it up while you're talking. But what's what's the premise of the book? Yeah. So basically, it's a reminder of changing your focus from um, from getting something to giving. So in business, he's just telling you like, you're, if you always add value and if you always give, you're going to get something in return, whether mm-hmm. expected or not. So it's just like a great foundation of how to have like how to set up that client experience and how to make sure that you're setting up your business in a way that's always trying to help and serve others and not just, um, I guess, be in business for yourself. Yeah. And you were right. It's actually, of course, the go-giver, as you mentioned, a little story about powerful, a powerful business idea by Bob Berg and John David Mann. We'll we'll link to this in the show notes uh, at bocapodcast.com for anybody who's curious. Uh, I, you know, this is this is the approach that I've taken, particularly with the podcast, the book of podcasts, and you know, I mean, ultimately, photographers edit too. At the end of the day, it's one thing to be in business, and we've been lucky enough to be in business for for twelve years at this point. Um, but it's another thing, you know. And, and of course, you see numbers, you can get excited about numbers and set financial goals. But I just don't personally find that fulfilling. It can be exciting, but not fulfilling per se. Um, when I know that my company, whether it's my editing company or the podcast, is making a, a tangible difference in somebody's life, whether we're saving them time or we're helping them learn something that they're able to implement in their business and it makes a big difference, that's fulfilling. When when you're, the focus is on helping somebody else, uh, it really will translate. And I can say that from personal experience um, and, and humbling experience as well. I mean, it's just so exciting to hear that kind of stuff back. But I think if we put that effort, that energy and that focus into our business, it will pay dividends. And in, as you pointed out, Mandy, ways that we don't necessarily expect as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I just feel like I had done this book in like a little, like, a, I guess a little book club with other business owners, but it was just so impactful for all of us. It was like a great reminder to reset. What are our, what are our intentions? How are we actually serving? Are we expecting something in return? Are we just doing it as an exchange of you know, money for services? Or are we actually like really putting our heart into what we're doing? And it was just such a good reminder and it was like a good foundation for how I want to run my business. That's cool. Well, we'll, we'll link to that book in the show notes and um, it, it sounds really inspiring. And my goodness, it's very rare that you see this, but it has five-star ratings, with over 2,400 ratings in it and a total five-star, not even a four and a half or anything. Like it's a total yeah. <laughs> five-star, highly rated book apparently. So um, we'll put that in the show notes. Anybody who's curious, make sure you go check it out. And by the way, for anybody listening in, Boca Podcast, B-O-K-E-H podcast.com, the show notes from each of the episodes, you'll find them there. Take advantage. Uh, there's a helpful information, the talking points from the conversation, the resources, we'll link to those. Make sure that you take advantage at bocapodcast.com. Let's transition, Mandy, to kind of our primary focus for today, which is the the pivoting process to personal branding photography. And um, I'd be curious, first of all, actually, to find out how long you've been involved in personal brand photography. 
Yeah. So I had my first personal branding session in July of 2016. So I've been doing this for four years, but it's really kind of been the bulk of my business for the last two years. All right. So you mentioned having been involved in personal branding photography since 2016. Um, You actually got started before like, we saw this massive shift in the direction of personal branding photography. I mean, it seems to be kind of all the rage now for photographers. Why did you make the move into the genre to begin with? Yeah. Um, you know, it happened very organically. I had a friend that had a blog and she just needed pictures. So I kind of did the session for her and then it was kind of word of mouth from there. She told her friends and then I just kept doing the different sessions and it kind of made sense. Like at that point I was trying so hard to, you know, really keep breaking into the wedding industry and keep growing the wedding brand, which I do and I love, but why would I be trying so hard to do something that everyone else is doing when yeah. there was this market that no one was serving? So it happened very organically. I do also have a background in PR and marketing. So it kind of made sense. Okay. I didn't like, I was just like, why am I not doing this? Um, so, you know, I just started offering it and then the actual specializing in it. It's just when I realized like, okay, no one's doing this. And the few that are don't have um, that marketing knowledge. Like it's more of portrait photography rather than really strategic brand photography. Okay. So, wow. First of all, kudos to you for seeing an opportunity and going for it. And this is something we've talked about in the podcast as well, especially in light of the idea of brand position or the significance of brand position. You look at where everybody else is and you go where they aren't, right? There's a tendency Mm -hmm. in our photography industry to just kind of see where everybody else is doing and just follow suit. And that can actually be harmful if we want to create a, a successful business, um, at least as fast as possible. If we're just doing what everybody else is doing, now we're, we're stepping into a crowded space. Why not look for opportunity where people aren't and go there? And, and this is a really great example of it. Again, you made that move before it became so popular to, to be involved in this genre. But it, it's also before, I mean, I can think back. In fact, when I first started this podcast, um, I interviewed uh, some longtime friends of mine, actually former clients of mine when I was a photographer. And uh, and Grant and Sarah Dodson, they offer uh, or offered a what we would now term commercial photography. And it's actually what we called the episode. Uh, but they were photographing other companies or other brands. And I think there's been a time in which brand photography maybe had kind of a different connotation. Haley, who produces the show, and I were talking about this. Um, These days, when we're talking about brand photography, a lot of times we're talking about what you do, which is personal brand photography, individuals who may have companies or represent brands. Isn't that right? Yes, no, absolutely. And it's definitely a form of commercial photography, but the rules of it are so different from a traditional commercial shoot. Interesting. Okay. Well, I know we're going to talk about the the biggest differences between, especially for wedding photographers, if they're going to, they're interested in personal branding photography, they want to make that pivot, that change. Uh, we're going to talk about the differences between wedding clients and brand clients, but can you create a little bit of distinction for us too between commercial photography, as I was talking about with Grant and Sarah, and I'll pull up the episode number here in just a second, um, but the difference between that and brand photography, you said they're very distinct difference in the rules? Yeah. So a lot of people, if you think of a commercial photographer, you're thinking of headshots in front of maybe like a gray or white backdrop. You're thinking of those galleries where you kind of look at maybe a a contact sheet of like 50 images and you pick three to get retouched and they're like highly retouched. Um, It's just a little bit different. Or you're thinking of a larger scale, big corporate business that just needs like only product photos or, you know, it's very like step and repeat type of pictures 
where brand photography, the whole, the whole premise of building your brand is that no one else can repeat it. Like you are, it's a personal brand. So that includes your personality. It includes the things that make you different, that set you apart. So when you're kind of like strategically thinking of a personal brand session, you get to be a little bit more creative with your shot list and try to, you know, be more creative with your locations. And it doesn't have to be so, um, I guess stuffy. It doesn't have to be <laughs> so professional. It can be okay. fun, and it can be, um, you know, it, you, it can just be a lot more um, creative. Okay, uh, and, and I appreciate you kind of creating that distinction too. Just just to reference um, the episode that I mentioned, episode eleven actually with Grant and Sarah Donson. For for anybody who's curious, first of all, to hear like what some of the uh, some of the early episodes sounded like. This one was from October thirteenth of twenty sixteen. It's kind of crazy. Um, but I interviewed my friends Grant and Sarah Dotson. We were talking about making the transition from wedding photography to commercial photography. Obviously, today's conversation is different in that we're talking about that move from wedding photography to personal brand photography. And and so do share with us, Mandy, the difference, um, really the three biggest differences, if you will, between wedding clients and brand clients and how photographers might adapt to each one of those differences. Yeah. First of all, I just want to like give a reminder, this is all during... COVID and during this season where weddings are getting canceled and postponed. So branding is something that's still happening. Like businesses more than ever are needing to post online. So this is just such a great season where if you are thinking of transitioning out from the wedding industry, this is the perfect time to build that portfolio for branding and to start positioning yourself as an expert, especially if you don't have other people in your market already doing that. Um, so I just wanted to open with that because I think it's important to figure out like I, I I think in the season, a lot of people can be stressing and I don't think there's any reason to quit. You just need to pivot a little bit. But the biggest differences is, first of all, brand photography, even though it's different, a little bit different from commercial photography, you're still doing a commercial shoot in the sense that you need to be using a commercial agreement and have a commercial um, release. So the way that they're using their pictures, it is going to be to generate income for them. So you need to be charging more for that session and your agreement needs to allow them the usage rights to use those pictures without giving you credit to use those pictures, um, you know, for billboards or for maybe a book cover or for running ads, you know, like you need to give them the permission to use those pictures to grow their brand. Um, so it's no longer just going to be a personal release. Interesting. Yeah. And and I'm glad that you bring that up because there's a high likelihood that a photographer could actually lose a lot of money if they just charge the same way they would for a portrait session or a wedding and don't set up the specifics when it comes to how those images, A, are going to be used, but then B, how they're, how the photographer is going to get paid for that usage, for those usage rights. Um, mm -hmm. this, this is a, man, there's a potential for massive loss there. So I'm really glad that you bring that up. Yeah. And I think pricing can be what kind of hinders people from jumping into it because it you mm -hmm. know, can feel overwhelming. But the only thing to keep in mind is you really do need to be charging more because they're, they are going to turn around and make money off of your pictures. So whether you want to get, just give them a commercial release like outright and give them, you know, have a higher price point and give them the full release, or if you want to have a lower price point and then do a licensing agreement where you kind of get to pick and choose how they're going to use the pictures. And then if they want to include more licensing uh, rights, then you would, you know, go upping the price from there. Okay. So this is a good reminder. And we could, I know that we could do a whole separate podcast episode just on said pricing because I, I can hear photographers listening being like, okay, so what, how, what do I charge? What, what, how do I go about this? 
um, especially for those who are maybe new to the genre. We don't have time to get into the details today, but do you have kind of a starting place that you would recommend photographers go to to figure out how to price themselves? Yeah. And I do think, I mean, I know that there are for sure educators in this realm and stuff like that. And you can, you can probably find courses that can give you a better, like a deep dive into it. But obviously, first of all, know your cost of doing business, figure out how much you want to make. And then, you know, if you're charging a certain dollar amount for a regular session and you're going to kind of keep everything the same, except you're going to be giving them the commercial release, then I would just tack on, you know, a couple hundred dollars to that um, agreement. Cause you definitely want to make sure that you are getting paid for the fact that they're going to be using it for business. So like, if you really just want to simplify it, like I don't do the whole licensing agreement. I charge a little bit more upfront and just give them a commercial release and let them use the pictures how they want. And that is how a lot of the brand photographers that I know do it. If you know, the licensing does complicate it a little bit more, but you definitely have a chance to make more money by doing the licensing side of it. So I think you can keep it simple to begin with and just figure out your flat fee for the amount of pictures they're going to get and for, you know, your amount of time and the usage that they, that they need. Okay. So we're starting, first of all, when we talk about differences between wedding and we'll go ahead and lump portrait clients in there because I think they'll probably be relevant. One of the biggest differences between the wedding portrait clients and personal brand clients is we first need to establish, make sure we've established a commercial agreement and release. What's the next big difference? Yeah. So the next one is kind of if you're in, like if you currently do IPS for your wedding clients or family clients, keep in mind that IPS is probably not going to work for brand photography. Brand photography kind of breaks all the rules, but it ends up working really well. So don't get mad at me if I say that you can't do IPS. Just realize that when someone is doing a brand session, they're going into it with the idea of batch creating their content. So, and that's one of the things that separates it even from just a headshot session or a regular commercial session is that branding really is allowing them to save time long-term because we're batch creating their content that that you can use for marketing for a few months at a time. Okay. So how does that, I guess, how does that actually affect the way that you're photographing them? Um, how does the, how does that affect the way that you're putting packages together for them when it comes to selling them this, uh, this particular service? Yeah. So, um, for personal branding, kind of the expectation is that you'll get a gallery with whatever certain amount of images that you decide, Yeah. but there's not an expectation to purchase images after, or like a, a business is not going to need to buy a photo album or they're not going to need to buy an eight by 10 to put in their office. Gotcha. So they're really expecting to just get the digital image files. And if you want, what I think has worked really well for a lot of people is to have like, maybe you get, you can set the image amount, but let's say you get 30 pictures, but you actually have a gallery of like 90, you can charge per image after the 30 that they get and make more money that way. But you should not be expecting to sell any types of prints or any type of like canvas or anything like that, because there's no need for it in this. Like we're really kind of creating images for website and social media. So if it falls outside of that, they don't need it. Well, which really brings us back to the significance of of the first point. And and I'm thinking Mm -hmm. about pricing too. I mean, I I understand the simplicity of a flat rate, but man, I'd also be curious to at least look into, if I was getting into personal branding photography, to looking into licensing fees and how I can charge individually for images based on use, because if I'm not going to have the chance to, you know, I mean, I've listened to, and I've I've hosted a number of photographers here on the podcast that have talked about how they're making thousands of dollars Mm -hmm. in IPS just from one 
session. The idea that we miss out on that as personal brand photographers would be not necessarily concerning. It's a different genre, but we just need to figure out then how to, if we're making a transition from IPS to not, how are we going to make up that money? And um, so it, it reiterates the significance, the importance of having the, the appropriate agreements, release releases in place, and ultimately um, the licensing in place, uh, ideally, so that we can capitalize on the opportunity to be able to generate as much revenue as possible. Um, okay, so that the big difference is then again, commercial agreement and release in place, um, understanding that we're not going to actually be selling them uh, in the same way that we were the wedding and portrait clients, no IPS. And then what's the third difference? Yeah, the third is um, at the end of the day, we're building their brand. So a lot of times I think it's normal to ask for credit when we do a session for a family, you know, ask them to credit us online on social media when they post or ask them to not filter their pictures. That kind of goes out the window with um, personal brand photography because a lot of clients need to use their pictures for ads and they need to add text to it and they can't be... Uh, crediting you for every single image. A lot of clients obviously will tag you. They love your work and they love working with you. So they want to promote you. But at the end of the day, um, there isn't an an expectation for them to have to give you credit for every single time they post because that can take away from their message. If they're doing a push on social media and then they have to end it with, you know, shot by Mandy Liz Photography, that kind (laughs) of takes away from what they're trying to sell to their clients. So that's the other thing is just to, to remember that we're building someone else's brand and those referrals and all of that will come, but it will just come differently. It doesn't have to come by them tagging us or giving us the appropriate credit. Yeah. I mean, the emphasis again is on creating just an amazing, amazing experience. They can't help but talk about us because they had a great experience. They got great images from us. They're going to recommend us to other businesses who need the same type of photography. But that's that's a a really great reminder because you're right. A lot of photographers in the portrait and wedding uh, side of things definitely rely on on the credit uh, Mm -hmm. of, of their images when they're posted online. Let's actually get into what a brand session looks like and more specifically what your recommendation for a shot list is. I mean, for a portrait photographer, for example, especially a location portrait photographer, maybe this is going to feel somewhat familiar, but is there a very unique shot list for a brand session in comparison to, say, a non-location portrait session? Yeah, I think the important thing to remember is every client is going to have different needs. So for brand photography, I do send like a client questionnaire and it asks questions like, you know, do you have any launches coming up? Do you have any blog posts planned? Do you know what your marketing plan is so that we can go ahead and create those pictures? Because otherwise you might just be, you know, you might be taking a few verticals, a few horizontals, but then when it actually comes down to them, you know, creating their website or whatever, they might need a horizontal image with you know, some white space on the left side to add text. And then if we didn't create that in the gallery, because I didn't know that, then, you know, they're going to have to be cropping a picture or try to make something work. So what I would recommend is to come up with a questionnaire and ask those questions. Like what, what pictures do you know that you need? What are some of your photo ideas that you know that you want to have to promote on Instagram or on your website? And then generally when I go into a branding session, in my mind, I'm keeping like I'm, I'm remembering, I want to get some headshots, just like very, you know, plain, simple headshots. I want to do some lifestyle images, something that's a little more candid, maybe them looking off to one side laughing, or maybe it's them doing some behind the scenes work, showing the process of, you know, the service or product that they offer. I like to show their office space. If we are shooting in an office or workspace, I like to take pictures of their desk or their um, office space. 
if they have, if they sell products and we'll do product shots, if not, we'll just do some flat lays that are very on brand that has branded items or that has, you know, their brand colors and little props and like pops of colors that are in there, the tools that they use. Like there's so much that you can do with brand photography. I think the most important thing is just to have a general idea in mind of like what pictures can someone use to grow their brand and it'll become very like second nature really quick. You'll just know exactly what to do for each different client. But if you just kind of create that little shot list and have your, um, I guess your workflow for each session down. So creating the shot list based on a, what the client's looking for, I guess maybe secondly, understanding what that brand represents, uh, really on all levels, whether it's, you know, the brand colors or the, the vibe that the brand is trying to give off the mission, the mission or the message of that brand, understanding all of those things and photographing based on that information. I, I guess I'm, I'm still curious to get a little bit more tangible ideas. I mean, you mentioned photographing in the environment that they work in, for example, um, you mentioned those, those images. In fact, we see a lot of, and I'm curious to get your take on this. And we see a lot of these images where you mentioned the, the, the person is looking after the side and laughing. And now everybody has an image that looks like that, or, you know, the holding the coffee cup and looking to the side and laughing photographers in particular are, are just notorious for having these images. Now, for whatever reason, that's like the, the go-to shot for personal brand photography. Can we, are, are there other examples, I guess, of how we can add some variety or our listeners can add some variety if they're looking to get into this genre? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, like when I create those type of content and I do this for my business too, I like to think of everything in content themes. So what themes do I talk about enough on social media that I can create content around? And this is kind of a method that I use with my clients. They, they don't all have content themes, but the ones that do, I just kind of try to get them to think a little bit deeper so that we can batch create content around those themes. So if we're thinking of maybe like a realtor, there are so many realtors in Nashville. It's a great, it's a great uh, group of business owners to I guess, attract. So I can think for realtor, we can do them staging things around a home. We can do seasonal content. So Christmas content and spring and summer, like there's so many different seasonal type of things that you can do for a home. You can do headshots outside of a home. You could showcase different coffee shops or shops or like, you know, small businesses in your town. So in Nashville, we have like Frothy Monkey and Crema and all these coffee shops. So I think for a realtor, it would make so much sense for them to like do a spotlight of the different places around a city or the different locations and the neighborhoods that you're trying to attract clients to or sell homes at. So you can think of it like that. If you start thinking of what content themes would work for an interior designer, what content themes would work for a social media manager or a VA or a blogger or whatever your client is, then you can get a little more strategic with thinking of shots that don't, you know, it's not just them looking at a laptop or it's not just them holding that coffee mug, <laughs> but can be more strategic for their specific industry. Yeah. And that will come with time. Like 100% that will come with, um, you know, becoming more comfortable with social media marketing, becoming more comfortable with the different industries that you work with. But I definitely think if if the client is willing and if they do have like, clients that they work with face-to-face, I always love to ask them to have someone come and model as a client and take pictures of them, you know, doing client work or showing the actual people that they work with. Because to me, that's going to be way more powerful than just a picture of them holding a coffee mug and smiling at the camera. 
Well, I, I think this is a massive takeaway, though. I love the idea of a content theme. And you, you said that not everyone will have a content theme to suggest, but if they don't, I think as business owners, we, I mean, content is, it's a, really a given at this point in time, right? Running a business in 2020, we're creating content or should be creating content of some kind uh, for the sake of adding value and creating awareness about the brand. What is that content? And if we're not creating it, what kind of content would support the brand position and the mission of that particular company? It's, I think it, you're in a really interesting position that you can even encourage these business owners to consider those things. But then when it comes to creating an image, instead of photographing the exact same shot that you see on you know, every brand, again, photographers, it, it's, I, guess, I guess being in a position that I am looking at a lot of different brands, kind of from top down, you know, 30,000 foot view, one of the things that you see in the photography industry is that photographers copy each other like crazy. And this even holds true when it comes to their brand photography, their, their own brand images, uh, their headshots, if you will. It's, it's laughing out loud or holding the coffee cup and laughing out loud. It's, it's, it's just very consistent. Uh, but I love this idea, the specificity of a content theme and creating image, imagery around that. I think that's a great takeaway for all of our listeners, especially those who really don't have any context uh, when it comes to how to go about brand photography or personal brand photography. But to this point about you know seeing everybody copying each other, my last question for you today, Mandy, has to do with creating distinction. Um, as personal brand photography has become more popular, what have you done specifically to stand out amongst the other photographers in your market? Because, you know, Nashville is a, is a first of all, it's a big market, um, a celebrity-driven market. And so naturally, there are going to be a lot of photographers there that, that are going to want to capitalize on this opportunity, this particular genre. Have you created distinction from them? Yeah, um, I think for me, the biggest thing is knowing exactly who I'm talking to. And, you know, like I said earlier in the episode, when you are building a brand and you're kind of building your business around your personal brand, that really can't be copied. Yes, someone can mimic it. They can imitate it. But they are not you. They are not you personally. They don't have your personality. So really, they're hurting themselves because at the end of the day, if they want to copy and paste stuff off your website or if they want to you know, pull inspiration from the way that you talk to your clients and all of that, it's going to be very inauthentic when it actually comes down to them having face-to-face interactions with their client or they're just not going to have – it's going to be like a disconnect when they do meet their client because it isn't true to them and it's not personal to them. So I think the biggest thing is really um, – through my process of helping my clients build their brand, I've also been very focused and intentional on building my own personal brand and making sure that I've like, you know, niched down to the female market. I know exactly who I'm talking to. I know exactly what they need from me. And then I'm able to show up consistently and show up on my feed and practice what I preach. You like, I really believe if you are going to get into personal brand photography, you can't just sell it. You have got to be practicing it too. Because if you don't, if you aren't generating leads or if you're not making money from building your brand, it's going to be really hard to ask someone else to invest in doing the same thing for their business. So I think that's what it comes down to is just I've been very consistent and, um, you know, I just keep building my own brand as well. Well, where can our listeners learn a little bit more about your brand, follow you? Will you just remind us uh, or remind our listeners one more time where they can find your website and social media online? Yeah, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Mandy Liz Photography. And then my website is MandyLiz.com. And if you do happen to be on LinkedIn because you are building a brand and attracting business clients, then you can find me at Mandy Walls and that's W-A-L-Z. 
Perfect. And we'll link to all of this in the show notes at bookapodcast.com. Thanks once again, Mandy, for spending time with all of us today. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, photographers, for listening to the Boca Podcast. Will you let us know what you thought of the show by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is nathan at bocapodcast.com. We do try to bring this show to you commercial free, so make sure to check out our sponsors, photographersedit.com and milu, M-I-I-L-U.com. Photographer's Edit is custom photo editing for the professional photographer, and Milu is the simplest way to create and manage timelines and shot lists for the events you're photographing.